0: What's up, fantasy nerds? Welcome back to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? (laughs) And returning (laughs) special guest this week is Craig Hanks. What's up, Craig? He's back in the house. Hello, everybody. Glad to be here. And for episode 84 of Inking Out Loud, we're continuing on with our read of Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archive. We're diving now into the first part of book two words of radiance drew what did we read for this week and what
1: happened in those pages well the short answer is not much (laughs) the longer answer is we return to the night of gavilar's assassination in the prologue this time we experience it from the point of view of yasna his daughter she is leaving the feast at the beginning of this to go visit an assassin Lys, whom she has uh contracted shall we say to keep an eye out for other people who are trying to hire assassins to kill members of Yasna's family. At the same time, Yasna is considering hiring her to kill Aesiden, uh, Yasna's sister in law, but ultimately decides just to have Liss keep an eye on her, watch her. Yasna then leaves her meeting uh, and runs into a couple of heralds in the back hallways, but as she's on the way back to the feast, she hears screams, she runs to the source of the commotion, and arrives just in time to see her father, King Gavilar, crash through the balcony and die at the hands of the assassin in white. From there, we jump back to the uh, the present time, six, six and a half-ish years later now, where Kaladin has been freed along with the rest of the bridgemen, and they're settling into life as uh, free men and as soldiers for Dalinar Colon. I. Uh, Kaladin is sort of organizing everything and, and working on training up all these bridgemen to become soldiers and guards for Dalinar. And he starts testing out the limits of his newfound radiant powers, his surge binding. They, they kind of perform some tests with Stormlight in the chasms and everything. And all the bridgemen get tattoos except for Kaladin because it won't stick for him. Uh, and then our other main point of view character is Shalon, who's going to be the flashback character for this book. Uh, she is on a ship bound for the Shattered Plains with Yasna. She's sort of on uh, mm, shaky ground with Yasna after her betrayal at the end of Words of, or uh, the end of Way of Kings, excuse me, and uh, is is. Trying to prove to Yasna that she can be reliable and she does want to be her ward and, and study and learn things, she starts seeing this weird pattern crawling around, and eventually Yasna sees it too. And they figure out that it is Shalan's Spren, and that Shalan is in fact a different order of Night Radiant from Yasna. They share one Surge, but not both. And as, uh, as Shalan is going to sleep, a raid happens, assassins are on the ship, Yasna is killed, and in an, in an effort to escape, Shalon soul casts the ship away and uh, kind of is saved by the Santhid, comes ashore in the middle of nowhere, having lost a whole bunch of things and, and by herself. And, and that's pretty much where we left off here.
2: Okay. So, so nothing happens?
1: Yeah, nothing, nothing happens. Nothing of
2: importance. Okay, all right.
0: Especially not if you're uh, if you hate Shalon like I do. All right, now we're heading into our prologue with this point of view from Yasna, and she's leaving the ceremony and the feasting. We're getting some more of these horror elements that we loved so much back in. I want to say it was part two of the Way of Kings again with Shalon, but uh, this time part with two. Yasna. Where? Sorry, what's that? Part three. Part three. Was well, that
2: part three? Okay, thank you. I'm sure I was she was hear not about in that. part two. Yeah.
0: Oh, good call. That's right. Remember, anyway. it,
2: Rob. That's why part two wasn't very good. Yeah,
0: yeah, precisely. <laughs> Craig's found it. We have these these creepy spren and where they're following our, our main character, and she's trying to figure out what it is they want from her. We have shadows pointing in the wrong direction. Everything is has this feeling of wrongness or or just being unnatural, which is quite a feat, I think, in a world that is already as alien and unfamiliar to the reader as Rochard already is. Um, so yeah, I mean, I. I really, really liked this this bit of horror and how Sanderson manages to instill this sense of fear and unnaturalness, I guess is the term I'll use. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the prologue was, in my opinion, one of the greatest. I, I really, really... And again, I'm a huge Yasna fan. I have admitted that before and I will always admit it going forward. So I really, really pro-
1: appreciated that prologue. Yeah. Um, style. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, as far as style goes on our Way of Kings Part 1 episode, I was pretty critical of the prologue. Uh, Zeth's point of view of the night Gavilar dies. This prologue is much, much better. It is it is just so much more... Uh, mm, free-flowing and accessible. It doesn't waste a whole bunch of time info-dumping. It it gets more quickly to the heart of Jasnah's character, and... And, of course, this is possible because we've already had the groundwork laid by Zeth's prologue in The Way of Kings. And we're going to see this as a theme going on, you know, as each of these books' uh, prologue is the same night, but from a different person's point of view. Once we have that foundation from Zeth, it allows Brandon to, to write a better prologue from these other points of view, in my opinion. Uh... It, it just, it reads so much better because it's not every every other paragraph. Oh, this is the third lashing, also called a full lashing, and this is what it does. And it's like, no, we can, we can get to the action. We can get to the character and, and move along with the story. It doesn't feel like a video game tutorial. Exactly.
2: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I guess I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, the prologue to Wave of Kings never quite sat right with me, but yeah, that's a good thought. Um, this one, I love, I, I, I love that we get another glimpse into Jasnah's intelligence and her pragmatism in yeah. a, in a much more real world setting. So when we see her throughout book one and she's with Shallan, it's all very academic she obviously is extremely smart but you don't well I, I shouldn't say it's all academic there's the scene in the alleyway yeah, right yeah. <laughs> but even then but even then it's she makes it clear that she's doing this to make a point and to make Shalon question you know her assumptions or whatever so it is in a way still very academic and now we get to see her playing around with uh you know, politics and assassins and all that stuff that we didn't get to see from book one. And I'm with you, Rob. I love love Yasna. Uh so so yeah, that was a, a nice glimpse for me. And so uh the first time you
1: read this book, how brutal was chapter seven for you? Uh when I guess it's chapter eight, right? The assassination on the ends with the scream.
2: Yeah. Yeah uh not it was not because at this point you know words of radiance came out i want to say it was 2014 yep if i'm not mistaken and so when it came out i had had quite a bit of sanderson up to that point and i you know i knew that it that it's unlikely that we're that what we're seeing is exactly what we're gonna get boy now i i don't want to get into any spoilers but, uh, <laughs> no, but it's, you, but you, it's, but you know point. what I mean? Like when you see something like this in chapter eight, obviously this is a pivotal character. I don't know. It's, it's pretty simple to just say, ah, uh, that's, I'm not getting the whole story here. I'm going to have to wait to find out what it is.
0: No, that's a very, very mm-hmm. good point that you bring up. It's no, there's nothing wrong with questioning a guy like Sanderson when he tries to show something like this. Like, let's talk about the epigraphs. I'm still staying on this point about, about Yasna in her death there. Um, from, from the journal of somebody we know that's making up these epigraphs, this being Navani, we immediately get this, from, the, from page one, we get this sense of impending doom. But something that Sanderson does with the epigraphs here in part one struck me as a little different. It's a lot less like we saw in *The Way of Kings* and and more like what we got in *The Hero of Ages*. Our epigraphs now are being they're they're rooted in musing about the present crisis. Um, yeah. So yeah, for like for chapter seven, *Open Flame*. I think it was chapter seven where where Yasna was stabbed through the heart because I wrote that on a great yes. example of this as chapter seven, *Open Flame*. Shalon witnesses Yasna being thrown down to the floor of her cabin, stabbed through the heart. There's no real sense of deception here, and that's what's terrifying. Brandon very clearly set this up. We saw, for the first time, just previous, like previously, right before this, Yasna appearing fearful, very fearful.
2: Mm-hmm. We get
0: this added mm-hmm. detail during this st- stabbing of Shalan hearing the knife. Thump into the floorboards beneath Yasna's body. So there's no trick of light weaving here. That, that said, so we're just starting to get to learn light weaving and what it, what can be done with that. But the final nail in that proverbial coffin here is or the heart. following. Sorry, or heart. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the the following epigraph from Navani right after this. I was unprepared for the grief my loss brought, like an unexpected rain breaking from a clear sky and crashing down upon me. Gavilar's death years ago was overwhelming, but this, this nearly crushed me. In no uncertain terms, Brandon is telling us yes. What just happened is exactly what you fear happened. Get used to it because more is coming. I thought it was very quaint. Quaint? Okay,
2: interesting word for it. Maybe I don't know how quaint... (laughs) is supposed to be used then i want to look it up right now <laughs> um okay very good and I, let's let's talk a little bit more if it's okay about that uh, feeling of dread that he's creating you guys have talked about the horror aspect of it and i, did I use want it to
0: pardon me you're right there i used quaint incorrectly i just looked it up it does not mean what i thought it did <laughs> still learning new things on inking out loud sorry guys i didn't mean to cut you off there craig
2: continue yeah that's a podcast from a writer's perspective right rob <laughs> okay, horror, sorry, sorry, no, I had, oh, uh, yes. that was unfair, that was a, uh, oh, come no. on, that's shame fine. on me. Um, <laughs> okay, thin, but... so, what, uh, what was I talking about? Dread, horror aspect, that's right, okay, so let's open up to chapter one, the very first lines of chapter one, uh, we have Shalon sketching, and she is uh, trying to sketch what she saw in Shadesmar. In book one right and she's she's trying really hard to do this and by the way we're I, I i'm not going to spoil anything i but i will mention that we get a little bit of this in uh, oathbringer as well shallan trying to sketch something and failing to capture what it is that she's seeing mm-hmm. uh, and this is it, it feels to me like something borrowed a little bit from lovecraft it, when brandon is trying to give us a sense of what Shadesmar is and what it feels like to be there, to go there for the first time, we we get shades of uh, Lovecraft showing you or or trying to explain to you why the creatures that he has created are so terrifying and it's because they are yes. incomprehensible. And so yes. Shadesmar is incomprehensible and that makes it scary. Uh, and so he's he's been building this place really well. And this is just one more uh, uh, nail in the heart, I guess, Rob, if we're going with that. <laughs> yeah, no, like, I don't have the
0: uh, the, the literary background or the academic, the, uh, academia that Drew has, at least in terms of creative writing. But I did study as a film student. And it was uh, one of my professors who, who, who enlightened me with Alfred Hitchcock. And he had a very, very similar vibe because it has a very similar philosophy and I think it was Hitchcock himself who said it's not what comes out of the closet that scares the viewer it's what might
1: come out of the closet in his house in Shadesmar a dread Cthulhu lies dreaming (laughs) 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 there's a quote for this episode I'd like to have that sound bite at the very beginning
0: have the listener go what the heck where are they
1: going with this you you nailed it Craig and I I hadn't thought of it in those terms before because I'm not a huge love uh, Lovecraftian horror fan, but I've read a little bit of it and and it, those parallels are absolutely there. There's a sense of uneasiness that permeates this part and a lot of that comes from things that the characters cannot quite grasp. And that is absolutely a core element of of that like kind of eldritch cosmic horror that forms the backbone of, you know, the Cthulhu Lovecraft mythos. So, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I I didn't do enough justice to uh, to part one when I said not much in my synopsis. But <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was kidding. I, I I quite enjoy part one. Uh, when Shalon gets to uh, spoiler alert. When Shalon gets to the shattered plains, eventually, I feel like the book uh, the story really starts. But her journey to get there is so character rich that mm-hmm. uh that i i don't mind it that much
1: yeah really when i said like not much happens it was just in reference to the fact that this is a in, in my you know first edition hardcover right here it's a thousand and eighty-eight pages and part one is 163 of this right we've barely scratched the surface of this book <laughs> yeah
0: that's why i think our episode today is so. going to be a little shorter than we've than we've uh, had lately at least particularly with sanderson works but that's everything i have or to talk Dune. about today for stuff.
2: um well actually can i can i bring up one other thing that sanderson does that um that i quite like uh, as long as we're talking about a book two mm-hmm. you guys have already done another sanderson book two in the well of ascension and there's something that he avoids here that he did in the Well of Ascension that I don't care for. And that is the one year later, you know, oh. or 18 months or two years or whatever. So right there up front in that same scene where Shalon is trying to sketch, uh, she's thinking about all the stuff that had gone down. And uh, it says only a few days had passed since that event. And so we get right up front just knowledge that this is a continuation of the way of kings and not a two years later where we're going to have to go through a whole bunch of more info dump on okay so here's here's where our characters were you know when last we left our intrepid heroes they were six years younger and you know now Mm -hmm. they've learned all this stuff and now i'm gonna have to tell you all the stuff they learned no we just just continue on with the story and thank goodness for that
1: yeah, I think that helps with the pacing in this book a lot. Uh, with Well of Ascension, I complained pretty pretty loudly <laughs> about how slow paced the first half of that book was. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's not here in in Words of Radiance. This this book picks up pretty quickly, and I mean I mean we have a a pretty major action scene that. Uh, occurs in like you said chapter seven, but it's not just a major action scene, but it's, an, it's a it's major character development scene, and it has big implications for the characters who are involved in it. That was one of my criticisms with *Well of Ascension*. You know, not to go into spoilers, but there was a lot of action in the first half of that book, but it meant very little. Here, what action we do get means a lot, and that's a a, a huge second book kind of improvement where it's easy for authors to follow into that trap you know like you said craig you know a year later or whatever or or the need to recap everything that happened in the first book we don't have that happen in in words of radiance it it really moves
2: yeah maybe a quick reminder here and there of who these people are but it's like in one sentence instead of taking up several it's, paragraphs it's
0: one or two sentences of exposition at a time from usually from calvin's point of view in this first part as he's talking to scar as he's talking to moash uh, as he's talking to dalinar but i mean it's 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 treated well yeah i, I definitely didn't find it like as obnoxious i don't want to say obnoxious that's a that's a demeaning
2: word i didn't find it i found it more enjoyable than the first half <laughs> of well essentially i think that's fair i so let me give you a flip side of that um so i i love the way that he Handled the continuation from Way of Kings, but there is one thing that he did that I I thought uh, was a little bit tired, and that was Kaladin's continuing training sequences. Um, and, and this is this is totally a personal bugaboo. It's not uh, I, I'm not here to criticize Brandon and say that he did it wrong. Just that it I wish that he had found another way for him to give me the info that I needed on Kaladin, either in book one or in book two. But you do know what I'm talking about? These training montages where he's trying to figure out how his power works. No, I can't say I know what you're talking about. Didn't he have these in part one? Am I talking out my ass? He, he has these scenes where they're like
1: testing, you know, the limits of his surge binding, going down into the chasms. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I didn't have too much of a problem with that because it was, um, it it felt to me like uh, a a little like Kelsier and Vin training at the beginning of Mistborn or something like that. You know, where we want to know as readers at this point, we want to know how Kaladin's stuff works. We've only seen hints of it. And this is Brandon having the, uh, um, the, the chance to say... Look at all this really cool stuff.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah, I guess, uh, and I get it. We need to figure out what those things are. He can't just unveil them all in the middle of some grand battle. But we had training sequences toward the end of Wave Kings. And now we're getting training sequences again. You know, it just feels a little bit like, all right, this, the Spider-Man montage of uh, learning to shoot the webs or jump across buildings or whatever. It's like, all right, I, I need a different way. Bring in a teacher or something, you know, just... Something a little bit different. Mm. I wish that there wasn't that kind of uh, continuation of that.
0: Well, in, in Mistborn, we uh, had a teacher. Uh, Kelsier was the teacher in the Final uh-huh. Empire. In 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 this book, it, I mean, Kaladin is is literally the first Surge Binder, at least the first Surge Binder with a Nail Bond, in in centuries, if not millennia. Like I, he's he's kind of just learning to walk. I, I I really I don't know, I liked it. There was only one scene really in which he was testing his powers in this first part, unless I'm misremembering. I could be misremembering. Uh, but I, I liked it because there was, there was this, again, as Drew said, there was this question the the reader burns to know, what is it that Kaladin can do? And more importantly, what is it that he can't do? We still have yet to see that. So I I liked it. I didn't have a problem with it myself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was only two chapters, at least in this part uh, of this. There was two. And, and it didn't take up the whole amount of both chapters. Yeah, you know, there were other things going on. Yeah, there's so a lot I didn't of characters. Have too much an a lot an of an issue. A lot of rock, a lot of lopin, a lot of sigzill a lot of Moash in there. Uh, a lot of Moash and yep. Scar. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but do we do we want to move into character? I'm then? good to move like into this characters. Is be good segue into Kaladin here. Sweet. Sweet. Uh, you want to start us off? Sure. So I know there's a a general feeling of frustration with Kaladin uh in in the fandom how his conditions have improved so dramatically from the end of way of kings going from the lowest of the low in in army as a bridge man to now a a captain in dalinar's personal guard and and he's got all these assurances and and life has taken this huge upswing um oh is that really a thing people have problems with yeah, I I that, And well and, and then they, they complain that he is still depressed, that he still is angry at Light Eyes and doesn't trust Dalinar and things like that. And I, I don't personally have a problem with that. I think that's genuine character work there. It 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 wouldn't be something if you've had this conditioned into yourself for years and you've been abused the way Kaladin was abused at the hands of Light Eyes, it would take more than just one gesture from a a really nice dude to make you change your mind. Well, it's not, I mean, it's not just one gesture. I mean, Dalinar also saved them from
0: the Parshendi at one point during the Way of Kings by attacking a whole bunch of Parshendi archers who were firing on an unguarded bridge four. I'm one of those, I identify with the fans who are at times complaining about Kaladin. I found myself a little frustrated with Kaladin in this first part because of how much his his Of the context he has, because as you just said, he was at the lowest of the low in Sadius's army as a bridgeman. And the contrast I think he has, especially because it's only been, what, a week between the end of the last book and the first of this book? You would think that with that added Not contrast... Even. Sorry? Not even. Not even, right. So... You would think that with that added contrast, that Kaladin would still be ecstatic, or at least be in a somewhat better mood. And this is something that Syl is confronting him on too. She she keeps telling him, "She's like, Kaladin, you've you've you're in such a better place now. Why do you still have this chip on your shoulder? Why are you still glaring at everybody? Why are you still, you know?" Well, can I can you I just jump got in?
1: Mental health issues. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was just okay, going to say fair. your uh,
2: mental health issues don't always depend on, or even usually depend on. Much on your surroundings. Oh, I'll get into um, that with Shalon.
0: Trust me. Oh yeah.
2: Anyway, so yeah. No, I, I don't think that's a fair critique. Sure. Just because I think Brandon really did his homework on how, you know, how depression would affect Kaladin. So, so yeah. I just because his fortunes change doesn't mean his brain chemistry changes right away.
0: That's fair that's fair and uh, i'm a much bigger fan of kaladin than shalon despite these issues he has with his depression i mean it's i I still get frustrated at times but i still i'm a huge i'm i love kaladin he's i mean he's kaladin Stormblessed. i really don't have to explain much there He's 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 a fan beloved character i just at certain times he he has thoughts about the light eyes that seem just i don't know I didn't understand it as a, as a younger man when I was reading it. I, would, I was totally on his side. I was like, dude, the light eyes are, are terrible. Every single one of them is horrible with the exception of Dalinar. But still makes a few good points. You know, he's He really has to change his mindset, at least about the light eyes, if he's going to improve anything in his own life. You know? I don't know.
1: But... Yeah, I, I, I just... I don't have an issue with it. I mean this this smacks of genuine character uh development and and the need to earn character growth. Um, like obviously Kaladin has made some strides over the course of The Way of Kings, but uh, I I think it's true to life that he's just not magically cured of his depression. I wouldn't want him to be magically cured of, of his of depression because
0: of one event. I wouldn't want it, but I I would I would want at least a smile here and there, you know? I wouldn't want it exactly the same as he ended the last book at, despite the fact that it's only been a few days. But I just I don't know. Dalinar's gesture—you called it a gesture—but I think it was something so much greater.
2: Well, okay, so you're blade. you're talking well, about the, being frustrated with the way that uh, that Kaladin is acting, and I think that's I think that's okay. But it, it's much. It would be much worse if Brandon didn't acknowledge the mental health issues that Kaladin has. If he didn't, Mm. if he just magically cured Kaladin, that might, it might satisfy you as far as, like, making it more enjoyable to read him, but it would make him much, much less believable as a character. All right. Yeah.
0: I'm somewhere in the middle. I, I, I wouldn't want him, like I said, I wouldn't want him to be magically cured this quickly, but I would want to see some development. And for me, I don't see a whole lot yet. So... I don't know. Right. I, I, since we're still on Kaladin, though, I, w- I will say this. Were I able to talk to Kaladin, I'd be very tempted to give him a flick on the forehead for deciding that Lopin, of all people, is to be Rock's second as quartermaster. I mean, really? Can you think of one single character in this entire series, nay, all of fantasy, who is less suited to and more likely to abuse a position of authority over food and supplies for his own enjoyment? Like, I'd like to take a moment of silence to respect all the burgeoning soldiers that had to deal with Lopin's personality and eccentricities while trying to discipline and train themselves. Like, oh my
1: god, why a position of authority for that man? Because he's already been doing that, he's been helping Rock run medical supplies for Kaladin for the whole last half of Way of Kings. He's already been essentially Kaladin's, yeah, for like, twenty men, assistant quartermaster. <laughs> like that, yeah, but Kaladin knows him. Kaladin trusts him. Of course, Kaladin's going to. But choose knowing somebody the guy and trusting somebody doesn't grant them for him. qualities that they don't have. Except he's proven that he does have those qualities because he's been doing it for Kaladin. Of course,
2: Kaladin's going to keep. I using get the, the sense two
1: guys who've been his quartermasters.
2: <laughs> I get the as sense his quartermasters that Rob doesn't want good things to happen to people he doesn't like. The Lopen, I hate the Lopen,
1: <laughs> and well, I, I don't, feel I don't I, particularly I, like Lopen either. But it, Kaladin making him his assistant quartermaster makes sense because he's already been Kaladin's assistant quartermaster for weeks.
0: But on such you a know. smaller scale, could you imagine the, trying to go get supplies from the Lopin? What a f***ing nightmare that would be. Okay, You'd lose all your mind right, after on. a week.
1: Hey, hey, uh, Let's, let's, your... your let's break your this scale down. scale argument, your scale argument means nothing here. Kaladin doesn't know anything about scale, so he's going to choose the guys he already trusts. He's not going to go personally interview a thousand other bridgemen to see if one of them has experience with large-scale quartermastering. Like, he's gonna choose the guy he already trusts.
2: Also, can we just take a moment and acknowledge that the uh, Bridgemen are going to be assigned to patrol and uh, to Sweet. guard duty and these combat roles that Lopin cannot do? He yeah, can't that's... do them. And yeah, so right. he's not making him the quartermaster, he's tearing the assistant pig keeper. Like, this is a title that <laughs> means nothing. It's basically, you know, if if it sounds like you want to break this down and get literal with it, this is exactly where you put somebody like Lopen, where he can do the least damage and get (laughs) under the least number of feet. I would say if I were
0: to choose one one position for the Lopen, it would be uh, army therapist. I think he would be good there. He could give really? everybody a lot of context and crack a lot of jokes and bring a lot of people's spirits up. But putting him in, in in charge of organization and supplies, I mean, I can just see the pranks he would want to pull. I can see all of the, the eccentricities that, that he has. So he let's just... make
2: him a therapist, the prankster. Let's make him the therapist. Sure. <laughs> that, yeah. You can't... Uh, God, I don't know. I'm coming off as so contrary God in this listening. episode,
0: and I have to be careful because I'm about to go on a 10-minute rant about Shalon that's going to piss off a lot of people. Starting um, with... Me.
1: Mm, bring it. Possibly me, too. <laughs> I like Shalon quite a bit in this book. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right, Rob. Let's hear it. I mean, well, do we have any more about Kaladin?
0: I or I really don't Shalan? about Kaladin. I mean, I lo- I want to say again, I love Kaladin. Kaladin is a, is amazing. But the just in part one here, with a few specific thoughts that he has, I'm a little exasperated with him.
1: Okay. 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 Yeah.
0: So, Shalon, Shall we... Uh, Started. Right.
2: Okay, yeah, we're okay. So, we're uh, not going to uh, start Rob, for you. Let's get this out of the way. Yeah, Rob, let's you've you've, uh, you've <laughs> buttered this toast. Now it's your turn to eat it first.
0: <laughs> oh boy, Shalon, Shalon, Shalon. Um, okay, I uh, very clear that I don't like Shalon in this book at all. Really. Well, no, I do like her in the next book and hopefully will like her in a Rhythm of War. Um, but I'll, for for this book, I'll be able to expand upon more about why I don't like her in this book, of course, through Parts 2 and Part 5. But for now, I can still explain a bit. And it's really not much different from what I've said previously for anybody who's listened to our, our Way of Kings episodes. Just, it's going to be a little more today. And I, I gave this warning back in Way of Kings. If you're listening and you're a big fan of Shalon, you aren't likely to enjoy my personal thoughts on her at this moment. So Shalon, for me... It's a frustrating read. I, for one, I don't give a crap about the 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 wind's pleasure or the sailors aboard that ship. I've already I'm already frustrated with her timidity and how it's it blatantly stops parts of the of the plot from progressing. I absolutely loathe how close we come, even a few times here in part one, to learning more about Shalon's past, only for her to then avoid thinking about it. And I'll admit this is likely a personal flaw. Um, I've never been one to sweep things under the proverbial rug. When something traumatic happens to me, I dwell on it. I'm the person who analyzes something perhaps many times after the fact and thinks of a thousand different ways I should have or could have approached it differently. That's not particularly healthy. I'm not gonna say it is, but neither is what Shalon is doing. And so I feel like I have solid ground upon which to argue dissonance of personal taste. Um, I'm like I'm a reader who always digs for the truth, who's always looking for hints, and it's hard to articulate how frustrated I grow with Shalon in her self-imposed fragility. I don't like lying, at least to myself, so watching Shalon lie to herself, also preventing us from learning the truth for another thousand pages, I grow very impatient very quickly. I can, however, appreciate certain things objectively. I do like seeing her cast aside this timidity, even if it's only on the surface. Yasna's philosophy about the nature of power and perception is excellent, and it's rewarding to see Shallan exercise that theology to a productive end. I just... The Frostlands, everything that's going to happen in part two, I have no investment whatsoever in these characters, not even for Shallan yet at this point. So I'll admit that despite the fact I've read Words of Radiance somewhere in the vicinity of 30 times, probably read it five times and went through the audiobook 20 or 25 times. I've only found the motivation to grit my teeth and slog through this opening Shallan sequence in the Frostlands a half dozen times over maybe in that many no- that number of years. I just wanted to reach the Shattered Plains, and I see this entire sequence in the Frostlands as a waste of time. Uh, it's hard for me to look back on this sequence and see anything but Sanderson needing to find a way to separate Shallan from Yasna. Um, and, and to make her stakes upon arriving at the shattered planes higher. because this seems to me to be the only reason for that sequence. There's also something I found insanely predictable. It's going to happen in part two about a specific character arc. I'll be touching upon that next week. But I don't know. Shalon, not a fan. Not yet.
2: So, not. so I'm I'm struggling a little bit, sure, to put into words. How very, very wrong you are. <laughs> okay. I'll
1: but let me listen, back though. up.
2: Let me let me ask you, what um what is the plot point that her timidity stops from progressing? Finding out what's happened about her past. That's that's a plot point? Sure. That's a character point. I don't know about a plot point. But okay, all right. I call um, it a plot point. So so all right, uh, maybe I need to save some of this for when we get into the spoiler section. Drew, why, why don't you uh, talk for a second?
1: Because <laughs> so, so, I'm going to spoil you, something. You you hammered home how you felt like this whole segment here in part one and going into part two was only there to separate her from Jasnah and to increase her stakes, right? And that's why you don't like it.
0: Well, yeah, for a large part, that's why I don't like it, yeah.
1: it's okay. also some predictability to that there, I say... But. That's not a bad thing yeah I was gonna say Increasing likes exactly.
0: for a character is a good thing. see sorry I was only I was only halfway through but I creating gave you guys a chance situations to, for elaborate.
1: for character development is a good thing like that's good writing. that's why I like this because we're seeing from from what is it chapter one two when she does the santhid and she has her conversation with uh, with Yasna about the illusion of power like we're seeing tangible character growth right. Almost from the very first page. Like but there's something there's... that
0: happens in part three that could also stand in as a good point for her to start shedding this facade and start exercising these lessons from Yasna about the illusion of perception and when what power really is. There's a part in part three that could serve just as well and would absolutely yeah, be able to.
1: Yeah, that's 700 pages into the book. You need character development. You need uh, maybe it's part an two
2: then. I might I think, have been mistaken, like, part three. I think he just <laughs> loves being in the Well of Ascension. Parts one and two. He just wants to go back to that. <laughs> oh, I. Th- <laughs> no, but like,
1: like, this is good writing on Sanderson's part Take here. This is good character. Chapter work. 10 Red Carpet, Once White. I love this chapter. Her first flashback. I
0: love this. I love this chapter where Lynn DeVar is holding Shalon and he's singing her that lullaby. It's descriptive. Super creepy. It's not, you know, I mean, it's creepy, but you don't have context yet.
2: It's it's short, though. I would rather have But had wait a minute. Wait a minute, Rob. What's that? You, it doesn't. There's no context, so you must you must hate it. What did I say? I hate without
0: I hate having uh, lack
2: of context. Well, you but you want everything right now. You don't want uh, a plot to No, unfold. but I want hints. I don't want us to get right to the cusp of understanding and then oh shit,
0: we have to pull away from it. Yeah, that's called a hint. I don't like that. Take Okay, this chapter, this this short chapter, it's like, what, a page? Two pages? I would rather have ten more of these chapters, as vague and eerie as they are, rather than the dozen more times that Shallan of the future is going to find her thoughts wandering back to her childhood, and then simply going, no, I can't think about that, I'm too fragile to think about that. I want to be very, very clear about one thing before I have a horde of Shallan fans ready to jump down my throat for misinterpreting this character or refusing to understand her, as I'm sure I'm going to start hearing, listen, I myself had a pretty f***ed up childhood. Drew, I haven't even told you the half of it yet, okay? I myself suffer from post-traumatic stress. I handle it very, very differently from the way Shalon does. And so I think that's likely where the majority of my dislike of Shalon comes from. Not... Because of her frailty, but because it's a self-imposed frailty, and more importantly, it's a self-imposed frailty that blatantly and unashamedly stops us from learning things that we want to learn, right as we we think we're about to learn them. It, I see it more as a as a plot
2: device than anything. Let's take it's it. So let's take it easy on the wheeze here yeah no this is you you don't want the story to progress this way you want the answers right now you want to understand
1: you 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 want a character without flaws so you can get the answers sooner that's a hell of a draw man i don't want i just said
0: i don't want all of the like for example with kaladin i don't want him to suddenly be magically cured
1: except your complaints about shallan's character here are you're saying her flaw is bad because it's preventing me from getting the answers no, now. No. It's it's bad because it keeps making me think I'm about to learn something and then denying me that chance. So it's increasing tension. Oh, I, I don't I don't know. I I disagree
2: so, so much on so this. So I, I do want <laughs> I I want to try to understand, Rob. I'm I I'm honestly trying to approach this Sure. To understand you. It sounds more to me like you feel like you had some experiences that should help you to understand Shalon, but because she took a different path of dealing with her trauma and because that's a path that you maybe knowingly maybe unknowingly rejected then it's really really frustrating for you to read her journey uh to through and beyond these uh that, these issues that she has experienced since childhood that's fair
0: um that's fair. I, I do have, there is a little bit of that to it. I deal with post traumatic stress in a very different way. I'm a little rough around the edges, as I'm sure many of our listeners have, have gathered by now. Um, <laughs> I'm a little too honest at times. I crack jokes at inappropriate times, but I'm not one to avoid thinking about something because I'm too fragile to think about it. I, I'm the opposite. I dwell on things. I dwell on things and I, I think about how I would change them had I give it, been given the opportunity. But I, like, I, I, as a reader, as somebody who's constantly looking for little hints, as I do with Sanderson's books, this is just a particular—it's it's like being de- having that fruit dangled in front of you, and every time you go to take a bite, it's yanked back another inch. But it happens again and again and again and again. It happens like ten frickin' times. Once or twice, okay. But I just—I got I grew frustrated, and I will continue to grow frustrated as Shalon keeps thinking about her past and then thinks, oh, no, I can't think about that, just because it's so tantalizing.
1: All right. I mean, yeah. Okay. So I gather you guys
0: vehemently disagree with that, and that's okay. I imagine ninety-five percent of people who hear that are also going to disagree with that.
1: Shalon is a loved. I I don't think. I don't think it's ninety-five percent. I mean, I think a lot of people do agree with you there. I I see a lot of people posting on Reddit and Facebook and things like that complaining about aspects of Shalon's character arc for similar reasons. but she, I mean, she's a controversial character because of that. There are a lot of people who really don't like her, but there are a lot of people who do.
2: Yeah, no, I think, um, and it's, it's easy for people to get frustrated with any of these characters, Kaladin, Shalon, Dalinar, whoever, because mm-hmm. the whole, the whole uh, well, I don't want to say the whole purpose, a purpose of the Stormlight Archive is for Brandon to essentially come at many different types of trauma and brokenness and explore them from lots of different angles, and so some of those are going to rub people the wrong way, and some of those are going to speak. The same thing might speak to somebody else uh, in a very profound, personal way. Um, I, I myself, don't have anything in my past even approaching what Shalon went through, and yeah. uh, but I, but I appreciate the window into what, uh, what a severe case of avoidance might look like. You know, I, I, I like having that glimpse into it. So I get why people get uh, frustrated with Shalon, but no, I love her storyline.
0: I just, I, I don't like the fact that it's used as a plot device. It's used to prevent us from learning about
1: something. I, I like, I, I don't know. See, see, but that, that to me is from, from the writer's perspective, that's good writing. Oh, I feel like that's, that's, yeah. It's, it's not just a plot device though. It's not just a plot device. If it were only there for the sole reason of preventing us from learning new things, then it would be a lazy plot device. But because it's integral to her character growth and her character development and her flaws as a person, that's good writing because you're, you're using one element of a story to work multiple purposes. That's, that's the kind of thing that the Stormlight Archive in particular, watching Brandon Sanderson grow as a writer, He's gotten so much better integrating multiple aspects of the, the structure of a story into specific elements. Like, I, I love it. I think it's, it's beautiful how he I, manages to work this stuff in. I
0: could admit that this may be something that has just gone completely over my head. I mean, far be it from me to criticize an author like Brandon
1: Sanderson. I mean, I mean it's, it's like, like when you, when you consider, uh, I'll try not to spoil anything here, but like when you consider what this does to her character arc. If she didn't have this case of avoidance, she wouldn't be able to make certain decisions and have certain self, uh, moments of self-realization at key moments later on that would then help the plot progress. If those happened earlier, then the story just wouldn't work. And, and so by having this flaw inform later character moments and plot points, like it's, it, it's kind of elegant in a way. And I also want to reiterate
0: yeah, I think. what I said, uh, beginning Shallan's points here, that it's mostly for words of radiance that I'm, that well, it's some for Way of Kings, as I, as I talked about, but mostly for words of radiance that I don't like Shallan. In Oathbringer, there are many moments, not to spoil anything, there are many moments that I have to cheer for <laughs> Shallan. And going forward, I, I find her to be a a more enjoyable read. I'm going to have lots to to cheer on and lots to glow about when I'm talking about Shalon going forward. But for for Words of Radiance, I, there's just something I can't get on board with with being teased by the author so many times and not oh. being able to make that last little connection until the very end, being suspended for that long, that close. <laughs> it gets a little frustrating. You know what I, I can just can't heard, wait Drew? To talk rhythm of war with the <laughs> oh god, speaking of oh. tantalizing and being on the cusp of getting something.
2: Oh. No, Drew, all I just heard from Rob was I don't like Brandon Sanderson books.
0: Oh no, let that not stand as my opinion. Listen, I have glowed, I have glowed about Brandon's. I mean, any you know, what? I don't even say anything, just listen to the last Way of Kings episode during our discussion about Caledon. There,
2: boom, I'm I'm messing with you. All right. Who else yeah, got we
1: got? It. I'm done with. Oh, Sean. well, we do have a little bit of Dalinar here. We do, um, like just a couple of scenes. We have you know another uh, High Storm vision, and and we see a little more of how he's handling that with Navani, uh, trying to record things. You know, um, I I I don't have a whole lot to say about him other than I think it's kind of clever what they're trying to do with him, like kind of muttering under his breath in the in the visions to right. Yeah, you know, to give her something to record back, back in the barracks of the palace, or, or you know wherever. Um, you know it, the the Dalinar elements in this so far, I like because they're Dalinar taking creative approaches to solving problems when he's not exactly the most creative person.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I know, like everything big plot-wise for part one is happening with Dalinar as far as I'm concerned. We get another vision like you were just talking about that we didn't have in the Way of Kings. But more importantly for me is this writing on the wall, literally, that appears. And it gives us our first big mystery. 62 days and death follows. I appreciate that extra little detail that Sanderson gave us here with the character Rushu. When she says, it almost looks like it means broken. And this wouldn't be the first time that we hear Odium ostensibly referred to as the broken one, um, if I'm not mistaken about my prediction in that one of the chapter epigraphs in The Way of Kings,
1: you know.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: but I mean. Yeah, I, I liked the the numbers mystery that's set up in this book. It was a fun plot line to follow along with, and I'm I'm excited to talk about it more as we get in deeper.
2: I felt with the uh, numbers plot line. Um, one, one thing i didn't particularly care for was the broken strap in book one and this oh, yeah. this felt a little bit broken strappy and uh and so i never felt totally sucked in because the broken strap just didn't quite capture me as uh as a mystery maybe i'm just not a mystery kind of guy uh, yeah no you know, I'm, I'm more with, of
0: a straightforward plot kind of guy i'm with you in a large extent there i i've noticed this trend at the beginning of stormlight books so there happens to be this Initial mystery to hook you with a broken strap and actually I'll, I'll just I'll say what Oathbringer and Rhythm of War have unless you haven't read any of the opening chapters for Rhythm of War Craig, but in our Cosmere our, our, our spoiler discussion. I'll discuss what they were in, in books three and books four um, But I, I just I like the meta. I like how we have the that extra detail the br- like broken instead of death you know, I just, that makes me want to dive back into the 17th shard and go through all the all the theories <laughs> again. Um, but yeah, as far as the actual mystery itself, I, I can't say I was like really, really interested. I was
2: curious. It it always felt more to me just kind of like what it is. Um, yeah, it's a mystery, but really it's a countdown to the end of the book. And it's oh. a, a buildup device. I never Use felt attention. the urge to solve what was going on. Uh, it was always just kind of a marker. It's a it, it, other than a page count or a chapter count. It's like, all right, here's where you are in the story. You're 63 days out. uh, you're 45 days out. You're 30 days out. Uh, and so it's just a way to mark time through the story, for right. me. Yeah. And and that. it is effective at that. Yeah. And hey. Yeah,
1: it, it is. It's going to refund. Oh, Ooh. That's some yeah. Cool that stuff. was a a big big. Uh, reveal and then oh wait I think that happens in part two I I read a a little ahead I can't remember Ah. if this was a part two
2: chapter or not (laughs) how priceless spoiler alert (laughs) everybody
1: (laughs) how priceless
0: was Kaladin's reaction to that though when he heard (laughs) Dalinar say I'm going to (laughs) in fact a lot Mm -hmm. of the interactions we see between Kaladin and Dalinar through the eyes of Dalinar are just downright hilarious and there's I will have more on that going forward
2: Oh yeah, definitely. That wraps up all I, I will say, characters? I will say this. Hang on, before you wrap up all your character stuff, go for I, it, I, dude. That brings up something that I have uh, often enjoyed when Dalinar and Kaladin finally get together, um, and have some some plot together. It's and we're gonna learn more about this in Oathbringer. I'm not spoiling anything to just say that uh, Dalinar is seeing a lot of himself in Kaladin. And that makes it an interesting, uh, an interesting thing to watch because other High Princes might not put up with Kaladin's insubordination, um, his fiercely independent character, his will to action. Uh, others might not put up with that, but Dalinar, he, he knows that intimately. He is that person, or at least he was that person, and we're going to learn more about how he came to be who he is now. Well. Um, and uh yeah so I, I like watching the two of them together
0: okay i was gonna ask you what you meant by that what dalinar sees in kaladin that reminds him of himself but it, as soon as you elaborated it totally made sense
2: yeah I mean, again i, I yeah i don't uh, i don't want to spoil anything also sure. anybody who hasn't read oathbringer get to oathbringer and you'll learn more about dalinar's <laughs> origins and it'll be a lot of fun but finish Wave
0: of oh, way of kings words of radiance first you're only in part one <laughs>
2: Got a ways to go. Only 900
1: pages, right? Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Something like that. 925 from the end of where we left off here. (laughs) I'm ready to go
0: into our miscellaneous and our lore segment here. Take off the spoilery gloves.
1: Uh, I think I am as well. Let me just double check my notes here. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was all my character notes. Uh, do, do,
2: do. I'm gonna catch mm, so much flame yes. for what I said about Shalon in this episode. Ooh boy! <laughs> you you are far from the only person who feels that way. What about Shiloh? Okay, yeah, I'm I, sure
0: most people agree with you, but I see what you mean in like
1: other ways, though. Eh? Okay, I'm I'm ready to to go into the miscellaneous and and discussion. discussion. Okay. okay. I've just got a
0: couple of small points here, a couple of aha, did you see that moments? Um back up to the prologue again, very, very briefly, when Yasma, uh, Yasna is in a moment of desperation against these creepy spren that she interprets as a threat, and she thinks to herself, and I quote, a reason. Could she find a reason? What do we make of this? Is this some else caller equivalent of what the light weavers have to do in admitting strong truths for the purpose of soul casting? Hmm. I hadn't thought about that. That's interesting. Ten seconds of silence. What do you guys think? Say so say that again, Rob. So, okay, so Yasna is in this moment of desperation. She sees the, the figures of black or the shadows approaching her. She interprets this as a threat, and in a moment of desperation, she thinks to herself, a reason. Could she find a reason? A reason for what? That's that's the question. It's left open to interpretation. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I also imagine this kind of like fitting with Shalon if Shalon is thinking a truth could she find a truth
2: well I so this could have something to do with um, the ideals of the is it else callers yeah yeah else callers um, yeah, since Lightweavers I don't, I don't know because That's the first. <laughs> so uh, with a, a lightweaver like Shalon there's you know pattern obviously has said something about truth. You know, uh, that powerful truth and, and those sorts of things have unlocked her powers up to now. Maybe reason is a thing for Yasna, uh, Because thinking. reason, as a as a principle, is obviously something she holds dear. Um, she clings to it, whereas Shalon avoids the truth. But uh, there may be something there. Um, I, I have a similar question, but it's going to wait. Drew, what do you think?
1: Well, I, like I said, I, I hadn't considered it in those terms before, but I, I like at least the theory behind it. I would have to double check, though, because I th- think we've already gotten a word of Brandon about one of the Else like, Oh, ideas. no, no, we definitely have. We're, since we could talk about spoilers, an Edge Dancer,
0: Lyft has one. I will remember, remember those who have been forgotten. El- Else Caller? I think it
1: is. Else
0: Yeah. Oh, God. No, oh, no. Not Edge Dancer. Else Caller. Ah! Oh! I'm going to hate myself (laughs) for that one when I listen to the pre...
1: Ooh.
2: Ooh.
0: What a mistake to make. Okay. Yeah. No, thanks for the correction there.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, Oh, man.
2: (laughs) Just, if you have trouble remembering, just think, we like Else collars, we don't like Edge Dancers. Oh, God. There you go. Oh,
0: no, I like Edge Dancers. I just don't like (laughs) Lifts. I like
2: Edge Dancers. Exactly. I'm kidding. I'm kidding.
0: (laughs) I'm not. I hate
1: lift. Oh, God. That's going to get me a lot of hate, too, later. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we're we're gonna be recording our Edge Dancer episode in a couple of days, and that'll be that'll be fun.
0: <laughs>
2: oh boy,
1: if you think I was ranting about Shalon today, dear
2: listener, just wait. <laughs> oh. Oh. Okay. But... So, sorry, Drew, were you uh, done with your point, or did you have more to go yeah, off on yeah, with I'm, that? I'm done with my point on that. So, can I ask you because uh, this is getting into the uh, the idea of these base principles, truth and honor and reason, perhaps we don't know, but it seems to be hinted at. Um, With those things, I'm curious about the rhythms that the Parshendi sing to. And Uh I'm curious about them, whether they relate somehow to the spren, what types of spren there are, you know, there are obviously lots of different types of spren, but we, we see there isn't necessarily a spren for absolutely everything, despite what Kaladin's mom said. Um, mm-hmm. There isn't necessarily a spren for everything, um, but maybe there's, you know, may, maybe there's a rhythm for each type of spren. I don't know. Or does it have something to do with the shards of adenalsium and the the kind of basic precepts or concepts that they represent? Um and how do they tie into the, the uh, Knight's Radiant Ooh. and their precepts? Anyway, so, I, so I'm curious about this. Um, Drew, you would be the one to ask, Rob, you look like you're about to crap your pants trying no, not to answer No, it's just because
0: I, I realize what you're asking of Drew here because he's read Rhythm of War. He's a beta. And so I can just imagine how hard this is, especially it's called Rhythm of War. I can just imagine how difficult this is going to be for Drew to answer. But go <laughs> ahead, dude.
1: Give it your best shot. Raffo. Oh. Okay, it's not hard for Drew to answer. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm not. I'm not treading on that ground. I, I just yeah. want to point out there al- the allomantic
0: thumpings so, but- have rhythm to them. You know. Like yeah. Let me just. Uh, like- it, it,
2: it, am I am I on the right track with anything I said, Drew, or am I going to be like shocked and amazed? Um. <laughs> or are you just yeah. not even going to go there?
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 I'll say elements of what you've said skirt elements of the truth in some manner or another. (laughs) <laughs> in the Brett, most vague way possible Brandon will be proud or at
0: least Peter will be proud there's <laughs> something there the allomantic metals have thumpings you could, that you can hear when you burn oh shit brass or bronze I can never remember bronze bronze yeah, bronze, yeah. I mean the Parshendi have their their rhythm of their of their chanting they uh they're uh damn it uh, rock can hear mu- or music or like a, like that he can almost hear I suppose it is when he's and he has the ability to see spren and in, or a little bit into the cognitive in the realm at least there's something mm-hmm. there with rhythm it's tied to this i think i want to say the spiritual realm i i have i have no idea how they're going to come together but you're absolutely
2: right craig there's something there that we're poking at and we're trying to understand so okay so along those same lines i want to talk about the rhythms uh well or in this case the lack of rhythms and in this case i'm going to be spoiling uh not not an important part but a part I guess of um of warbreaker and that's the fact that there are drabs and my question is is the are are the rhythms of the parshendi some kind of form of investiture like every every being has investiture to the level that allows them to essentially be sentient right um and in warbreaker we have drabs those who have lost their investiture they they continue to live but they live uh, you know a, a lesser as a lesser form um and there's the the drabs and what are the the gray want the return or not the returned the lifeless lifeless yeah. then there's the lifeless anyway so i'm wondering how this relates to the dull form of the parshendi if at all um because the dull form it's essentially the form with no rhythm.
0: I think it's also and a form so, with no spren, right? Because the parshendi have gem hearts that have spren in them. Or at least they say so, they, yeah. they definitely have gem hearts.
2: Yeah. Anyway, I, I'm just throwing mm-hmm. this out there. This is this is my. You know. You know the like when you read academic papers and they just no, throw think... in. Uh, they throw in um, these polysyllabic terms that are essentially meaningless, but kind of show them to be a part of the academic tribe. This is my form of doing that. I'm like, I don't understand <laughs> how any of this works, but I'm just going to throw in words like investiture and drab and dull form. And like, see, I read Sanderson, too. Yeah. Now Spiritual connection <laughs> and identity.
1: Yeah, exactly. Oh, God.
2: I have lots to talk about with Gavilar
0: on that front. But no, anyway. Fluttered. Yeah.
2: Drew, is that something you can react to? Um uh that I mean that's
1: that's very much, you know, trying to like draw a connection between drabs and uh the rhythms on Roshar and like dull form. I think that's pretty solidly in the realm of speculation at this point, so I'm okay with discussing it. Uh i I mean like that, that's a pretty like universal concept kind of speculation and I I could see there being um something there, but I I I mean drabs certainly are are a result of lack of investiture. I think the rhythms are probably not like you know, like dull form I mean, I guess there is a lack of investiture there if they don't have a spren. Um, or how the Parshani view humans. They say, where is their music? Why do they speak like this? Yeah, I although like I see that kind of thing as more of like a spiritual connection kind of thing, like with a capital C, like, you know, uh, how how certain characters can speak the language on other worlds because they're tapping into their connection to the land somewhere, and so they can just talk normally, but other people hear them speaking in their native tongue. You know, it's it's like a sort of biblical speaking in tongues kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I just remembered one more piece of the puzzle, perhaps, in Eshenai's
0: points of view, in the interludes, in Words of Radiance, in this very book, she goes into the storm to change her form. And as the perpendicularity approaches, as the center of the high storm approaches, she tries searching for another rhythm and she can't find it because in that moment, all of the rhythms become one, single note, or perhaps one single beat. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to make of that, but I think it's another piece of the puzzle.
2: Yeah. Is anybody else getting Silmarillion vibes with the music of the Iron I wish I had the context necessary to do so. (laughs) Just me, then? Okay. All right. I mean, I I see where you're going
1: with that. It didn't immediately leap to my mind. Oh,
2: oh, okay. Just me, then. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Chapter five, Ideals.
0: Paladin sees Syl bobbing around the room during the king's meeting, and I wrote down the quote here, Sill bobbed around the room, poking into nooks, crannies, and vases. She stopped at a paperweight on the women's writing desk beside the king's chair, poking at a block of crystal with a strange kind of crab thing trapped inside. Were those wings? That's the quote. So,
1: yep, Larkin, I assume? Yeah. What I, is it? That's what, what, what I've always assumed. What's a Larkin? I don't know what likely. that is. Uh, the little investiture-eating mini-dragon thing that Risen has as a pet. Yeah, oh. Nail uses one to, to, to
0: extract the Stormlight from Lift in her interlude, I think. He has like a has it uh-huh. clasped in his hand.
2: Yeah, mm. oh, okay. All right. Mm.
0: Yeah. And there's some <laughs> theories between, or the link between Larkin and the Lancerin, which have apparently died off, which we briefly touched on, I think, in a previous episode for The Way of Kings so yes food for thought at least yeah
1: yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I've always been of the opinion that that was a Larkin in the crystal there sweet whether it's a fossilized one or I mean it's like a crystal paperweight right it's a crystal
0: paperweight but you can see the, like it, you can see the creature inside that's dead and he thinks he can see wings even though it's a strange yeah. crab
1: thing yeah yes yeah yeah that's what I'm saying I've always yeah, been I'm of agreeing. the opinion that it's a Larkin I'm elaborating sorry i'm not i'm not contradicting i'm elaborating oh, i was uh, gonna say because you already described it that's why i was confused yeah yeah, yeah. um
2: all right so <laughs> oh shoot no never mind i have one but it's from the interlude so never mind what
1: this is so a spoiler
0: I, discussion you can you can mention anything
2: we've already well, taken well, off no, the no,
1: it's okay no let's keep the spoilers for things that relate to what we read yeah video.
0: yeah exactly oh um, damn
1: i don't think i've uh, done that so the, far my bad yeah. Otherwise, we could just make this episode three hours long and talk about the whole book. Like, <laughs> yeah, I guess. But, I guess that's a good uh, point. But no, point, I, actually, I only I only highlighted one line um, for a spoiler discussion, and it it just gave me a little chuckle, oh. not not anything deep. And the line is, in Kaladin's eyes, there was no sin greater than the betrayal of one's allies in battle. Well, yeah, as a Windrunner, that yeah. would be the
0: thing that offends him above all others. Yeah.
2: And this is the part uh-huh. where the uh the uh, uh and, rhythm and, rhythm and of war beta reader is like, mm, this line really jumped out to me. Mm-hmm. No, no, no no. This is <laughs> specifically different. in a scene he's walking
1: around with Moash.
2: Oh yeah, okay. Oh right. sh <laughs>
1: I thought
0: you were gonna say that because you know at the end of this part Amram shows up. I was gonna be like da 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 right there, but that's a good point. Uh, I didn't consider yeah. that Moash was in his company when he actually said when he thought
2: that. Yeah, oh. he,
1: he and he and Moash and Scar were like walking around. There and,
2: there is a lot of that. I I well, apologize spotty. for kind of bringing this back to some philosophy, but I think this is a really interesting thing, and so I hope I, I hope listeners will forgive me as well mm-hmm. that. Uh, there's a lot of question, especially in the Kaladin chapters, but we get it in Dalinar's as well, and maybe with, uh, with Shalan as well, if I think about it. What is it more important to be loyal to, people or ideals? What do Why you are you form- uh, mutually exclusive? Well, in this case, uh, so you have somebody like Amaram, who thinks that he is operating for the greater good who's doing what he's doing, you know, I need this shard plate, I need this shard blade uh, so that I can serve the realm because he's part of uh, the Ghostbloods, right? No, Sons Um, of Honor. Uh, uh, Sons of Honor, yeah, Yeah, my bad, sorry. Um, Anyway, and so he feels like, no, I I have a greater mission, this is just some idiot soldier who doesn't matter, I need that blade, and so I'm gonna betray him for the greater good, you know, and uh, and so... uh, In his case, it's obviously the ideal or, you know, his um, what he perceives as his ideal takes precedence over the people that he is uh, that he is the Lord over, you know, or that he is a soldier with. Uh, Anyway, and and so, yeah, I I wonder, this is going to be something I'll think about a little bit as I continue with my read through. I'm reading through Oathbringer right now, so. I'll think about it.
0: Sweet. Sweet. All right. Um, I, I suppose just my last little aha point was a little detail that we got when Kaladin was d- having a heavy discussion with Syl. And at one point, she she rests on his palm or she walks on his palm. And Kaladin notes to himself that she seemed to have a tiny bit of weight, which for him was a little bit unusual. I just wanted to say that I loved that little bit of that, that little tasty breadcrumb thrown in there.
2: Is this her being pulled more and more into the physical yeah, it's realm? Yeah, this is her manifesting
0: a little more into the physical realm, but also perhaps a hint that she will literally be wielded by Kaladin at some point.
2: Oh, I see. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's good.
0: Yeah, that's oh. everything I have to say about Words of Radiance part one. And now I wait to be crucified for my views on Shallan. But uh, <laughs> everything done, shall we head into the final draft, or is there anything else you guys want to get out of the way?
1: Uh, no, I, I think I'm done, Craig.
2: A, I, there's a couple quick fire points that I kind of wanted to make that I, I neglected to make in the first part. Um, there's uh, there's a, uh, a moment of quick to the conflict mobile. Um, <laughs> all writers have this. If you watch for them, they they have the moment where they're telegraphing like, oh, everything's about to go to shit. Are you uh, ready? Yeah. And uh, yeah. in this case, it was when Shalon is talking about how great her life is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she had stumbled into the perfect life and it was everything she'd wished for in part one of book two. Like, quick yeah. to the conflict mobile. <laughs> Something is about <laughs> yeah. to happen. You know, like there are those little moments. I love those where you can um, uh, you can you, you can read an author like a book, so to speak. Uh, If you watch for those. There's just
1: like a a flashing red neon light appears above your book. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's the rumble you can feel when you're like, "Uh uh-oh, what's about to happen? And then you see the avalanche coming, you know? Yeah.
2: (laughs) And the the other one is um, a point that comes up in both book one and book two. And I don't know if this is a window into Brandon's personal views or if he's doing the authorial thing of uh, trying to, you know, see something through his character's eyes, perhaps. But there is something interesting and it recurs often enough that I take notice of it. And that's um, Kaladin, the way Kaladin views a spear. And this is going to play into, okay, we're still in spoiler territory. So if anybody has come back, yeah, you know, heads up. Uh, but when he brings in Sill as a spear, this is going to be, you know, a, a big thing as well. What is the spear to Kaladin? Is it, is it power? is it authority no it's not it's freedom and so Mm -hmm. there it this is remarked upon often where when the bridgemen come up from the chasms in book one they have to leave their spears behind and they are slaves again and there there's a moment here in part one where uh it talks about being armed with a spear meant freedom for the bridgemen for kaladin and that that is a, a a thing for all of them and so I, I don't know if he's making some sort of like, uh, you know, I love weapons because weapons are freedom point. But it's, it is still interesting. <laughs> I, I don't know quite what to make of it yet um, through part one of this book. But, um, but I do think it's interesting how often he brings up this idea of the spear as freedom. And so I think uh, maybe watch for that as he and Syl further their bond as man and spear.
0: Yeah. 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 I would think this is more of a Kaladin thing than a, than a Brandon-wide thing. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, that's actually a really astute point. I hadn't considered that... The spear is still default to Kaladin in in being able to fight, being able to free, and being able to help others and protect others. The spear is is just symbolizes so much of of all of that for Kaladin.
2: He, he says it was like a part of him still didn't believe he could carry it in public now, and he feared it would be taken from him again. Oh,
0: yeah. Ooh. Well, yeah. this was also back in 20. Well, this would have been 2013 when he was writing
2: it, at least. I don't know that's actually damn damn that's actually a really really good point so anyway yeah I I know you guys were trying to end sorry no no it's good dude we're still at one of the (laughs) shortest episodes we've had
0: for a Brandon podcast our Brandon podcast a Brandon episode
1: so yeah yeah um yeah all all I'll say about that is Brandon certainly does think weapons are pretty cool Craig you've been to (laughs) his house right (laughs)
2: yes indeed God oh, damn! This is—he this is, he has
1: quite a
0: collection. This is where the the resident Canadian melts into the ground out of sheer envy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, I I know he got a uh, like a couple of either one or two pieces from Robert Jordan's personal sword collection, you know that kind of stuff, and he's got some some other pretty neat neat weapons. On oh, I've floor. seen them on
2: stream when he's but, signing for uh, Letterbound yeah. editions, yeah. I, I have been to some great, wonderful places. I have met uh, famous and important people and nothing. not Meeting Brandon didn't matter as much as wandering through Brandon's office and seeing yeah. the stuff that he had. Like He was not as cool as his stuff. <laughs> 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 and I'm sure he won't right. mind me saying so. All right, all right. I'm sure he would agree with that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, if that brings us to the end of our discussion, shall we head into the final draft? I'm good to go. Yeah. I'll Rob, start. what are you drinking? I'll start since I have the boring
0: choice. So I, I right before we went live, I told uh, Craig and I told Drew that I actually wasn't consuming anything, of, of at least of alcoholic content, but I lied. Well, no, I didn't lie. I changed my mind as uh, Drew was going through his <laughs> opening uh, statement there or his, his, uh, his recap. I actually No, actually, it was right before that. Sorry, it was Craig. It was when you were going to go grab your drink. I actually stepped into the next room and I poured just a little splash of rum. Into my uh, into my glass here, along with my cranberry lemonade, and that was Sailor Jerry, or Sailor Jerry's. I didn't actually look at the bottle. I'm not sure if it's. Uh, if it's Sailor Did you pick Jerry that in,
2: in honor of how much you love Shalon's journey on right? Uh, I saw the, that. The and I was like, you
0: know what? Shalon's <laughs> on a boat. This makes sense. I drink, and so I had precisely one cranberry lemonade mix with Sailor Jerry. During the course of this podcast. And I mean, mean, Sailor Jerry, I believe it's a little higher in ABV than most uh, liquors are. I think it's 46% as my teenage years are coming back to me in horrified (laughs) memory. Um, But I mean, you know, rum goes good with anything sweet. And a cranberry lemonade, despite the fact that it's a little tart from the lemon, it still went down real nice, especially if you don't mix it too strong. So I had Sailor Jerry mixed with cranberry lemonade. All right. Very nice.
2: Craig, what are you drinking? Uh, So in honor of Yasna's uh, of, uh, visit to the cognitive realm, right? She, uh, and, and I will say this, I, I did figure out why this is, I, I was like, I don't know how this connects to the story, but we'll find <laughs> a way. And it is, I love Jasnah, much like you do, Rob, and I, I love her attachment to reason as a, uh, a principle, as a, a first order ideal and um and so when she perceives the spren around her as these black clad figures um and now we're thinking that maybe you know reason has something to do with her um her her connection to ivory right so this this black clad figure i am drinking black is beautiful this is uh, from the mm. Weldworks from the Weldworks brewery uh, over in uh in uh, <laughs> your neck of the wood drew um from Greeley, Colorado. from Greeley, Colorado, so the Black is beautiful. It's an Imperial Stout with uh, Madagascar vanilla. And oh, it stout. is, yeah, okay. It is uh delicious. I am a big fan. So
1: Drew, what oh, about you? Black is beautiful. Go on. Yeah, well, so I I want to just toss a little bit of context around that beer. So it's a uh, the version Craig is drinking is a collaboration.
2: Well, they're they're with, all collaborations. With Weathered basically. Souls Brewing Company. Yeah.
1: So there, there's been over the last few years, um, there have been a few pretty major events that have happened in the United States. You know, there have been some big fires that have affected breweries. There's, uh, you know, there's been a pandemic, obviously, and and some pretty, uh, you know, racially charged protests and and you know things like that. And one of the cool aspects of the craft brewing community in the U.S. is how breweries have banded together to support each other and to support causes they believe in. And, uh, you know, like when there were massive, massive wildfires in California, Sierra Nevada Brewing Company brewed a, you know, brewed up a batch of an American payload called Resilience. And they shared their recipe with any other brewery that wanted to put their own riff on that recipe, release their own version of resilience, and then all of the profits from every bottle of resilience sold went to help support, you know, uh, survivors and and recovery funds from the California wildfires, things like that. Black is Beautiful uh, is, is a relatively new kind of instance of this where weathered souls brewed up a, you know, a, an imperial stout and shared their recipe and a bunch of, breweries all over the US and and the proceeds from buying this beer go toward uh, you know charities and foundations to help young uh, minorities, mostly black people, uh, inner city you know organizations, things like that, helping them uh, you know kind of find stability in what has become a very very you know uh, charged situation you know a lot of upheaval in those communities right now
2: yeah you know drew uh, you're you're making my uh, talk about spren seem uh, extremely shallow right now so <laughs> <laughs> drew has a gift for that oh man <laughs> No, it's uh
1: but, sorry go on drew well yeah so i was just to say i i think it's it's pretty cool that you're you're drinking that beer you brought that one on um I also think that beer has a, a great origin story. Uh, of course, it has nothing to do with me, but
2: uh... <laughs> No, it's um. yeah, it is a good I, beer. I, so I, I highly I, recommend I it. I definitely didn't ship that beer to Craig or anything. I was going to say, no, I, no, no, nothing <laughs> illegal. No, 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 no. no
1: I no.
0: find <laughs> myself endlessly amused by by Drew's ability to just hear the name of a particular beer in another stage and go, oh, yes, I can give you more context about that. <laughs> well, the,
2: it's impressive. the point is this one came from three miles down the road, so from Drew. So <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. Drew, what are you drinking? Anyway,
1: yeah. So I am drinking a barrel aged Belgian double. Uh, so, a Belgian double style, usually a higher ABV, very sweet, very estery, will kind of have some like banana and dark fruit flavors. Oh, yeah. A really strong molasses component to it. Uh, and this certainly has that. But it's barrel aged in Portuguese Muscatel wine barrels, and that ha- adds like a whole other element of dark fruit sweetness to it, which I don't love it. It's it's okay. Uh, I wanted it to be better than it is, but it, but it's still pretty good. Uh, and this is from Taxman Brewing
2: Company in Indiana.
1: This is it year, though, is, 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 is it is it
2: taxman like a profession or taxman like somebody's last name? Like I'm I'm Phil Taxman. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Their logo is like a skull with a bow tie and a top hat. So yeah, I'm going Phil Taxman on this one. <laughs> yeah, Portuguese wine um, barrels. Yeah, used so for- so the the. um the, the magnum opus from head brewer Phil Taxman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but this this beer is for what Kaladin and Shalon both spend a lot of time doing in this segment of the book. And it is called Deduction. Oh, uh,
2: uh, there's, there's the connection. And click. Tell nice. us again what it's called. Deduction. Oh, okay. So that is. All right. All right
1: yeah
0: yeah no portuguese wine barrels used for ale i can hear my
1: ancestors just rolling in their graves right now sorry oh, not necessarily wine barrels have been repurposed for for all kinds of different liquors for a long time oh i'm sure
0: but, but my portuguese ancestors would rather it be used for wine they take that stuff very seriously
1: <laughs> you should hear my grandpa talk sometime oh my goodness but yeah it's after it's been used for wine when they're done using it Instead of just destroying the barrels, breweries will buy them. Oh, and then what age? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm Still learning. New so things. you get the, the character of that Portuguese wine, along with your beer. Oh. Okay. Rocking here, them same, applauding. You know, same thing games. as like okay. you know using bourbon barrels. Like for instance. Oh, you, true you need American to... bourbon. Can it? It has to be aged in a fresh barrel. If it's aged in a barrel that has previously aged whiskey it cannot legally be called bourbon so a lot of you know bourbon distilleries they go through barrels like mad and people will be like okay well i'll buy your used bourbon barrel that you can't use anymore and i'm gonna age my own whiskey in it or i'm gonna age my imperial stout or my barley wine or whatever
2: so so it my my big question for you drew um because you're so knowledgeable about this stuff is how many listeners do you think we've lost by talking about uh, barrel aging for, you know, various alcoholic beverages? That's why we save it for the Probably, very end.
1: Yeah, <laughs> at, at least 10 listeners stop listening for everyone who's like, ooh, the beer segment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, sounds about right. Oh, man. But, uh, but yeah, anyway, I, th- I think that's... <laughs> it's going to be a wrap for, for this one this has been episode 84 of the Inking Out Loud podcast next up is going to be part 2 of Words of Radiance we'll be covering the first set of interludes and part 2 uh, if you want to support the podcast check us out on Patreon it's patreon.com slash inkingoutloud we have a you know, monthly newsletter a monthly short fiction written by Rob or myself, a bunch of other benefits, so uh, yeah check that out there as always, I'm your host, Drew McCaffrey. With me is my co-host, Rob Santos. I'm sorry, Shalon. <laughs> and our special guest, Craig Hanks from the Legendarian podcast. Word! <laughs> thanks for coming on, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye, everyone. <laughs>